Brothers and sisters, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> Luke 9. Uh, starting at verse 12. Luke 9. Verse 12. And let's stand to give honor to the word of the Lord and to our God. This is God's holy and infallible word. Luke 9, 12. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50. So they did so, and they had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Let's pray. We thank you, our glorious Lord, for this, your holy word. And we pray that by your word that you would mold us and make us even into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give us attentive mind and believing hearts to receive and believe that which you have given to us, especially in your word preached. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Perhaps you don't realize it, but you likely spend a tremendous time of your life, a, a tremendous portion of your waking hours involved with food. You work to earn money to buy food. You travel to the grocery store to go get the food. You buy the food. You load the food. You load it in your vehicle. You drive back home. You unload it to your home. Sometimes you got to go to more than one store to get all what you want. Then you got to unload it at your house put it away, cook it, prepare it, eat it. Hopefully you maybe make some leftovers and eat it again maybe one or two times after that. And then you got to clean up after yourself and then you got to do it all over again. Not just for one meal a day, but for those of us who are blessed for three meals a day. So a lot of us spend a great deal in regard to preparing and feeding ourselves. Now if you're those who have a garden, large garden, or maybe those who have a farm, you, you spend an even greater deal of time in preparing food to eat. Food is a necessity. And God made us that way even before the fall of mankind, that Adam and Eve were to eat. And if they didn't eat, they would have likely died, um, especially if they didn't eat of the tree of life. But God made us this way to need food. And um, as we read 
food was evidently necessary for this great crowd of people that we behold here, um, Jesus preaching and teaching to. Earlier in this chapter, uh, it says here that in verses 1 and 2 that uh, Jesus gave power and authority to the twelve over the demons and to heal diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Um, they went out, and after they went out, they came back to Jesus, and they, they were rejoicing and telling Jesus of, Jesus of all that they had done and all that they were able to teach, and that they were rejoicing in their ministry. Um, we find out that Jesus wants to go for a respite along with his um, disciples to Bethsaida, and we find out, we'll look a little bit more at that later, but instead of having time alone and for rest, he gets followed by a crowd. As we focus on today's text, the main thing that I want you to receive is that you are to put your faith, put your faith in Jesus, the one who has fed the 5,000. We'll see this in two main points, the caring Christ, and secondly, the filling Christ. Let's look at this first main point, the caring Christ. I'm going to back it up a little bit and start reading from uh, a little bit <coughs> after the beginning of verse 10. He was taking his disciples with him when he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcomed them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. So after this intense ministry of Jesus, he's going across Galilee and back and forth, and um, he was in the land of the Gerasenes and then coming back. Immediately when he comes back to shore, he's met by a group of people at the, crowding the shore waiting for him there, and he basically doesn't have much time to rest. For what little time he had to rest on the boat was interrupted because the disciples woke him up because of the storm. So Jesus is in need of time of rest and that may be a time of seclusion for prayer as well, and he invites the apostles to go with him. Um, we would probably think of this as a village more than a city, Bethsaida, and it does mention later on in the text that they were in a secluded place. So some, some scholars here say that maybe they weren't in the city, but they were in the, in the desolate outskirts of the town or the, the village of Bethsaida. Earlier in chapter 4, it says Jesus went to a secluded place. In chapter 4, verse 42, because he wanted rest and to commune with the Father. And here, this time, he's inviting his apostles. Most sensible people would have not thought ill of Jesus if he had turned them away. You know, I'm sure you all, I don't know, at this time, how many thousand was gathered around, was, was following after. I need time to rest. You all hang out here and I'll be back after a day. Nobody would have faulted Jesus for that. Because even Jesus needed rest because he, um, he was both the eternal son of God and man. And in his human nature, he was tired. But his care, his caring for the people over could say that it was overriding his fatigue. Instead, it says Jesus welcomed them. He, who did he welcome? He welcomed the crowds. 
And he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Jesus provided for their spiritual needs first. After providing for their spiritual needs first, then he began healing those. And this is important for us to think of. Whether we have needs such as health needs, financial needs, social needs, put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and then the rest will be added to you. Make God's word and his power, the power of his word to revive you as the priority and receive it by faith. So after teaching them, Jesus began curing all those who had need of healing, verse 11. And this went on for a good portion of a day until it started getting dark. And as the day was ending, the twelve mentioned another need which they thought the crowds should go and take care of for themselves. Look at, verses, uh, look at verse 12. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For we are here in a desolate place. Now, there are writers who criticize the apostles because they should have maybe said, Jesus, you're the Almighty, or they didn't really, they were still getting to know who he was, really, but they got a glimpse of who he was on the boat when he was able to calm the wind and the storms, and they, they should have maybe thought, Lord Jesus, could you provide food for all of these people? Now, Maybe they didn't remember some of the, uh, the Old Testament stories about during the days of Elijah, how the, the widow in Zarephath had a, a bowl of flour and a little flask of oil. And God, through the work of the Holy Prophet, enabled her to have that bowl of flour never run out and that flask of oil to never, to never be empty. She forever was able to make bread and and use that oil and, and flour until God finally brought rain to the land, according to 1 Kings 17. Maybe they could have thought back and said, you know that story about Elijah and the widow in Zarephath? Lord, can you do that? <laughs> it had been cool if, one, if somebody thought of that, but they didn't realize what was in the repertoire of, of the Almighty Son of God, because they were still, again, getting to know his identity. But notice the exchange between Jesus and the twelve, verses 13 through 15. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. I used to think that Jesus was being sarcastic here. You go, get them some, you go and give them something to eat. In other words, if you tell someone to do that, and you know that they don't have the resources to do that, that would be kind of sarcastic, wouldn't it? But what they said in return seems like a return of sarcasm. 
oh, well, we'll just go into the city and, and buy food for 5,000 people. Yeah, and who has wagons and horses to haul it all back for these people? You know? But I've come to understand this in a little different way. Christ's words here, when he says, you give them something to eat, it came to pass. Because from their little meager resource of bread and fish, they did give the entire crowd something to eat. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was giving a preview of what he was getting ready to do. And then the apostles, um, they, I guess they anticipated what Jesus was getting ready to do when he told them in verses 14 and 15, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so, and he had them all sit down. So they're probably anticipating something that Jesus is getting ready to do. So here and we have... Next, an example of Jesus being the filling Christ. Verse 16. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven. He blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, before we look into the significance of the miracle, Jesus took the bread or took the bread and fish and he looked up into heaven and blessed them and then broke them and then gave them. Now, the posture both in prayer and worship in, in the West is often with a head bowed, with eyes closed. And there's reasons for that. Um, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that mentions bowing, but not just the head, but the entire body. And I'm not going to go through all those, but I have, some, I have a footnote there if you want to look at it later. But the Old Testament doesn't ever recall people just bowing ahead. It's usually prostrating the whole body. But here, um, Jesus is doing something different. You know, uh, I know that we pray with our eyes closed because it might be kind of hard to pray with my eyes open while I'm looking at everyone staring at me. You know, Maybe I'm getting distracted. Maybe my mind wanders. But you know, it's never really commanded in Scripture to pray with your eyes closed. Jesus looked up into heaven when he prayed. So maybe when you go outdoors and you see the glories of the creation, the, the trees that Mr. George loves so much, pray as you look up to the heavens and look at God's creation. Um, sometimes I, on my computer, I get, I get these pictures of the most beautiful scenery in the whole world. One of the most recent ones I saw on this computer here in the office was um, a picture of Tibet with the rolling hills and the rice, the rice planted on the hills. Man, it's one of the most gorgeous sights with a fantastic sunset behind it. Maybe when you're booting up your computer and you see something that's inspiring like that, you can pray and give God thanks. You don't have to be outside. You could be looking at your computer screen. Um, when you're eating a meal... And sometimes food can be not only tasty, but it can be visually appealing. Maybe, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful food. Pray with your eyes closed, I mean open, while you look at, at what he's given you. Um, you know, earlier when Deacon John was taking collections and coming back up, I said, thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful deacon. Bless him. 
And I prayed for others in the congregation too. You can do it with your eyes open. So after blessing the bread and the fish, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. Now, this is something that I don't have this in my notes, but it's a precursor to what happens when we have the Lord's Supper. When we have the Lord's Supper, he gives the Lord's Supper to us through those who minister in his name, those who are called according to the ministry and elders and the pastor administrates, but then the elders distribute the elements usually. And those, that's the example we have in what's going on here. We, they don't, you don't just go up and take the supper for yourself, but you have those whom God has called to the ministry who distribute the elements, and that's given unto us. Now, think about it. Jesus is breaking fish and bread and distributing it out for 5,000 people. I'm thinking about analyzing how long that would take. I think he was breaking bread and fish for over an hour at least. And don't you think that somebody realized something miraculous was going on after, after 45 minutes of constant breaking fish and bread and handing them out, that they were realizing that Jesus Christ was performing a miracle in their midst as he was feeding not only 5,000 men, but also likely women and children above that number. Jesus did not provide just enough for them to eat. He provided an overabundance. Verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. I've met people, and I, I'm related to some, someone close to me, and they don't really care to eat leftovers. It's not in my, my household, by the way. But I know someone who doesn't care to eat leftovers. You know, you eat it once, but oh, I don't, I don't want to reheat my food and eat my leftovers. You know, that's a problem for a very rich nation. That wasn't the case here in uh, the Middle East, in the Promised Land. Um, some scholars would say that the people of the land were what we would call more subsistence farmers and fishermen. And this Bethsaida was close to the, the shore, so it was probably farmers and fishermen here. And what that means, a subsistence farmer, is one who basically makes enough to provide for their family, to provide for the needs maybe even of some extended family, and maybe have a little bit left over to take to market. But they weren't having an abundance. So in a culture like this, in some days maybe not having enough to eat, these sorts of people greatly appreciated the leftovers. They didn't think of this as, oh, well, I'm leftovers, I'm not going to eat that. This was something that was considered a great and rich blessing, and they weren't going to go to waste. These 12 baskets of leftover fragments was a, a sign of the overabundance and riches that we have through Christ. But there's a deeper meaning to this text. It says, they ate and were all satisfied. Jesus will truly feed and satisfy the hungry soul 
that seeks after him. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Your worldly pursuits, your worldly possessions, your work, your leisure, your earthly relationships, none of this would ultimately satisfy you. It will not satisfy your greatest need. Mankind's greatest need is peace with God, the one who has created you. Fellowship and communion with God, the one who has created you. Only Jesus can reconcile you to the Father through his perfect work of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. By faith in him, a lively faith in him, and trusting in him as your Savior, you can have peace with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Think of it another way. Earthly food, and even in this condition and, and in this, this situation, earthly food might satisfy you for maybe four or five hours. For some of us, maybe only three and a half hours. But Christ is that bread sent down from heaven, which can give you an eternal satisfaction. Citing Deuteronomy 8, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can't only live by earthly food. You need Christ as that heavenly food. And his word is food indeed. Now, for the 5,000 plus, remember, it wasn't just men. It was likely women. There was a 5,000 head count of men, or depending how you understand it. 5,000 plus is likely what it was. They ate this miraculous food that Jesus produced just from a one basket load of fish and loaves and provided this great abundance but everyone eating of this miraculous food did not mean that they automatically had eternal life. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John 6, starting verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, before I go on, they were seeking after Jesus, maybe because they wanted another big, humongous meal. Verse 28, I mean, verse 27. Do not work... For the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? 
Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Jesus, this is the promise of God for you. If you believe that he is the bread of life, if you come to him by faith, you will never hunger and he who believes in him will never thirst because you will be granted eternal life and eternal satisfaction it is only through christ can you ultimately have that satisfaction of peace with god and eternal life in this text god has revealed to us his son that his son is a caring, loving, merciful savior. He cared for the crowds, even though tired and fatigued and desperately needing rest, he sought to heal and teach the word of God to them. He cared for them, so therefore he told them to all sit down that he might feed them. He wasn't being sarcastic when he said, you feed them, but he used that little store of that little amount of fish and bread to feed the crowds because he is the filling Christ. Brothers and sisters, you can only be filled and satisfied if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Don't seek that bread which cannot satisfy. Seek that bread from heaven, the bread of life, even Jesus Christ, and you will be satisfied and you will be granted eternal life and you will hunger no more and thirst no more, and you will be granted entry into his eternal salvation. Let's pray together. We thank you for this, your word. We thank you that we cannot live by bread alone, but we must live by every word, word that, is, that comes forth from you, O Father. And help us, we pray, to feed on this word by faith, to trust what you have revealed unto us. Help us to grow in grace and understanding, to grow in faith and assurance that you are our Father, that Christ is our Savior, and that you would give us lives that bring forth much fruit of gratitude unto you. Help us in these things, for we ask them 
In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's stand and sing 282. I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. Let's stand and sing 282.